Welcome to Order Up, the podcast from the National Restaurant Association. I'm Helen Jane Hearn, Senior Director of Content, and your host today. If you care about workforce issues in the restaurant industry and how those intersect with the current reckoning on race, you're in for an enlightening half hour. In this episode, I speak with Jerry Fernandez, President and Founder of the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance, also known as MFHA. We cover tips, tools, and considerations for talking with your employees about race. Let's get started. Jerry, welcome. Well, it's great to be here. How are you today? <laughs> good, good. Um, how are you doing? Oh, it's so just a wonderful day. Sunshine and uh, I can't complain. We'll take it. Jerry, let's just get started with telling me a little bit about both your role at the association and your background. Well, first, I'm a lifelong restaurant person. I came uh, right out of high school and went to culinary school at Johnson & Wales in Rhode Island. And then I did my summer on Nantucket, my summer on Martha's Vineyard, my summer on Shelter Island Heights, a year at the Waldorf Astoria, all learning how to cook and wait tables and all those things. And and then, you know, my career began to take off. I worked for Ned Grace and opened up Hemingway's. And I also opened the first Capitol Grill. Now, the Capitol Grill is now operated by Darden. And there's a lot of them out there. But uh, I'm proud to say that I was there at the development of the concept. So I'm a, I'm a kid from Massachusetts. I was an average student, kind of got in little trouble here and there. But when I got to culinary school, I found out this was something I could really do. And, and uh, you know, our industry is still one of those places, one of the few places where you can go from dishroom to the boardroom. And that's exactly what I've done. So for the last 25 years, I've been leading MFHA after getting it launched when I was at General Mills. And our job has been to help the industry see the value of building a diverse and inclusive culture, uh, having a uh, diverse and equitable way of thinking about your workforce, your customers, your community, and your supply chain. And so that's kind of what we've made our our bones on and, you know, kind of what's going to be a hallmark of my career. I'm really happy that I've been able to do it, and I feel like I'm doing the work that God put me on this earth to do. That's fantastic. Well, there's a lot of work to be done right now. Could you tell me a little bit what the, how the current state of race relations are impacting the restaurant industry? Like, what's going on right now at this time in history? Well, somebody wrote last year, and I, I, uh, I liked it a lot. It said there were two uh, viruses that impacted America, if not the world. One was the COVID-19, and the other one was racism. And, you know, I've been doing this work for a long time, and I never in my life thought we would be hearing people say out loud in corporate boardrooms, race, racism. I mean, come on. It's just an indication of how fast and how far the conversation has come because the racial reckoning that the country really needs to go through, uh, it kind of feels like it's going to happen sooner or later, whether we want to do it or we don't. Now, it still remains to be seen if this whole conversation and dialogue about Black America and what their experiences have been, and I identify as a Black American of Cape Verdean descent. That's how I get Fernandez as a last name. My, my <laughs> grandparents came from Cape Verde, West Africa. But for us to to determine whether this is a real moment or not, we should be on the on the front end of things and working to make some things happen rather than just wait for things to happen. Because if we just wait for things to happen and things don't change, let's see, we saw just recently another uh, black man uh, who appears to be unarmed killed by the police. You know, there's, there's something going on there. 
And, you know, so we really as a country have to deal with it at some point because those of us in the industry, uh, we, we over-index in the restaurant industry for people of color, blacks and Latinos and other uh, underrepresented groups. And so uh, when all this stuff is going on, we have people who are fearful to come to work. I was on a panel just a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, and one of the people commented that they, she said that her African-American employees would not work after 9 o'clock at night because they were fearful of being stopped and perhaps killed by the police. I mean, that's just, you have to put that in context. It's just think about that our employees are now worried about being stopped by the police, and I worry about getting stopped by the police. My grandson's, you know, 18 and got his license last June. He's been stopped three times, and one of the times he was on the phone, and the phone was on the was on, and I could hear what was going on, and it was clear that the officer was was trying to bait him. So this whole race conversation is needed and necessary. It's not easy. It's sticky. It's ugly. Uh, it, it's painful. But, you know, like a lot of things that are painful in life, you know, if you don't go through them, you don't deal with them, they'll deal with you in a different way. To learn more about having productive conversations with your employees in today's racially and politically charged climate, join Jerry Fernandez, founder of the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance, this May 13th, 2021, at 2 p.m. Eastern. We'll share additional resources, tips, and tools for tough conversations. Sign up at restaurant.org slash webinars. Again, that's restaurant.org slash webinars. You mentioned cultural fluency. Can you describe a little bit more about what that is? Sure. Um, there's a, you know, I got turned on to cultural intelligence back in 2000. Eight, I think I read an article in the Harvard Business Review about cultural intelligence being, you know, a competency for the future. And that the cultural intelligence is defined having the knowledge, skills, and abilities to effectively and appropriately engage people from different cultural groups to deliver better business results or better results. And so it was originally created so that people could go international. You know, you got to understand in other countries, you know, they don't look you in the eye or you can't touch a baby on the head or you don't use your left hand for certain things. Well, now we realize that cultural intelligence need, is needed right here within the confines of the U.S. because we have so many people from so many parts of the world that have made America their home. But we see things from different perspectives and different experiences. So when you're culturally fluent, it means you're not expert, but you're knowledgeable enough about the issues to talk about it. Let me give you a couple examples. A culturally fluent executive would never say, well, you know, we have um, people who live a gay lifestyle because they understand that the term lifestyle is the third rail. That means you don't understand that for the LGBTQ community and many others, they see being gay or lesbian as an orientation. That's how they were born. Like you didn't choose to be right-handed or left-handed. Now, it matters not whether you agree with that. You can believe that homosexuality is a, is a choice. But in a leadership role, you better understand how what you say is going to make a difference. Same in, in, in other communities, in, in the black community. Does someone prefer black or African-American? Eh, the, the jury's out. 46% say black. You know, 40, the rest of them, I think there's 6% say they don't care. And 41% prefer African-American. 
But once somebody makes it clear how they prefer to be identified, you should now you should navigate to that to that term. Okay. So there's lots of ways we're being culturally fluent. You understand that that the George Floyd incident and black police officers, blacks being killed by police officers, is probably going to weigh heavy on my mind. I will tell you, I'm not a anxiety-filled individual, but I've been anxiety-filled in recent weeks just because it's starting to it starts to weigh on you after a while. And I have two two sons and a grandson and and other family members going around and and I worry about them. So being fluent means you don't know every detail, but you can talk enough about the community. You understand with the disability community that there's certain ways to, you don't touch a person's wheelchair ever without permission. It's like an extension of their, of their body. You know, if you see a young woman with wild hair, you know, you can't put your fingers in her hair, but yet it happens all the time. When I travel with one of my staff, we're in the airport and people will come up to her and go, Oh, you're here soon and touch. That's a violation of people's space. So leaders, managers have to get culturally sensitive, culturally responsive to the needs of communities and people, and culturally fluent. All of that is under the context of being culturally intelligent. The ones who do this well, your employees will give you discretionary effort. They will go through the wall for you. They will stay loyal to you. Your guests will say, hey, I'm going to go to this place because they really feel me. I, they understand me. You know, they, they, they understand how important, you know, children and the grandparents are to Latino communities. So they don't look at us with disdain when we bring in our grandmother. You know, they, in fact, learned a few Spanish words to say, hey, abuela, como estas? You know, even if you don't, these things go a long way and they get people to lean in instead of back away. No, it definitely reflects that idea of, of a restaurant as part of a community. It is bringing people together, and that's a reflection of who you've got for your employees and for your customers. So you are correct. Senior leadership needs to have these conversations, um, and they're difficult. What are some tips for how to best set the stage for these tough conversations? Well, first of all, tough conversations are going to come up in places where you don't anticipate them. So it's smart to have thought through some of the things that are obvious beforehand, Okay. So there we saw companies preparing for the, the Derek Chauvin verdict, you know? Uh, and so people will say, how are people going to feel if it goes one way or the other? That was good planning. It's like a hurricane's getting ready to come. You, you board up your windows, you get prepared. All right. So the, one of the issues that's important is pick a right time on where you're going to have this conversation and, uh, and the right place. Is it a safe place where someone can say what they feel? If it's in the context of a meeting, you know, Chick-fil-A has a great model. They have uh, conversation guidelines, which are fabulous. I just love it. And, and uh, I encourage people, they say, check your title at the door. Because when we're going to go in and have a difficult conversation, we're going to listen to others. Y- your, your power position is no more irrelevant than, than, than anyone else. You know, we all have thoughts and perspectives on this and everyone. And then we're going to disagree. Let's just not be disagreeable. This one I love. Be willing to be wounded because when you have these hard conversations, someone might say something that hurt your feelings. Give them grace. Say, listen, I'm not, I didn't mean to say it that way. I don't understand. I didn't grow up with Asians in my community. So I don't, I don't know a lot of the differences between, you know, Japanese and Chinese and, and Korean, but it's really about the goal is to have a conversation to tackle tough topics 
through dialogue, ultimately to strengthen the culture to build trust. Because without trust, you can't go anywhere. And so, you know, we use Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team, with permission, of course. I called him and got it. And at the base of his functionality pyramid is trust. Your teams are not functional because you have no trust. If you don't have trust, I can't talk healthily to you about my conflict. I disagree with you, but I don't trust you, so I won't tell you what I really feel. When you have trust, which means I can be a little vulnerable, so I, I tell people in, in some of our training that, you know, I grew up in an area where my uncles were pretty homophobic, and I, I took that on. I had, a, I had a bad experience as a young boy, and I had this bad attitude about the LGBTQ. But finally, in my, somewhere along, along in my life, I had an experience that woke me up, and I said, wow, I've been thinking about this crazy. So I used to be a homophobe. Now, that's 20 years ago. I'm not a homophobe anymore. But when you open up someone and you tell them your vulnerability, wow, they go, now they can be a little bit honest. When you can get honest, you get to trust. Then you can have conflict, healthy conflict, Cornell University professor says, is when you argue about ideas. Unhealthy conflict is when you argue about personalities. And see, if you, if you can get the trust, then you can deal with conflict and work through it, get consensus have accountability, and that's how you produce results. So if you're going to have a conversation, again, some of the things is be mindful of where you, who's with you, where are we, where are we going to go have this conversation. Very importantly, why are we having this conversation? Is it because I just want to, you know, find out stuff so I can laugh with my friends, or do I really want to know what the experiences are of the Asian-American community right now? Why are Asians being targeted right now? You know, what's behind that? How do you feel? I mean, what's that like to, to, to have been perceived as the model minority all these years? And now you find out, guess what? All your hard work still doesn't keep you from being labeled in a racist way. So again, if your intentions are good, ask yourself, what's my intention? If your intention is good, then, then the conversation's got a really positive opportunity to come out in a, in a, in a, in a very good way. Now, sometimes they go wrong. And you got to be willing to say, hey, I made a mistake. I apologize, even if you don't think you need to. Can we try this again? Can we start again? Let's have a do-over. Those techniques are very effective when the conversation gets off the rails. I love that idea about how you it's unhealthy. You can't disagree without trust, that you need to have that baseline of trust. And um, that curiosity, and it is a big part of that, that curiosity and vulnerability to find out more about someone's experience instead of coming at it from this is something I need to check the box for risk mitigation or I need to check the box so I can knock it off the list. That is what you just said is so important is that there are people who are going through the motions. They go through unconscious bias training. Check, I did it. it it's like going to the gym. If you want to lose weight, you got first got to go to the gym, right? Then you got to get on and you got to exercise and it got to hurt. And if it doesn't hurt, you're not pushing it hard enough. Okay, but if you exercise the muscle, you get much better at it. We have to practice having difficult conversations. We have to be sure that our intentions are correct. We got to use some of the tips and tools of having good conversation and understand that, as you said, trust leads to being able to have healthy conflict, healthy dialogue, which, which gets you to better solutions. And, but you have to be willing to do it. And then when you see people who 
just go through the training once and they're done and they don't engage with anybody. They go back to their same way of thinking. Those are the ones who you're going to see long-term are going to have issues because I will tell you, the people who get this right, who understand how to have conversations, who begin to work on their cultural intelligence, their cultural IQ, they're going to be the leaders that everybody wants to follow. And they're going to go to your team and not my team because you're a much better culturally competent leader. And that's going to make the difference between your restaurant beating out the restaurant across the street for the best employees. And at the end of the day, that's what it's going to come down to. He who or she who has the best team wins. And, and that's what it's going to be about. Well, and workforce is just such a priority for so many of our restaurants right now for recruitment and retention. You mentioned some of Chick-fil-A's conversation guidelines, like the check your title at the door or be willing to be wounded. Do you have any other guidelines um, that you recommend for, for successful hard conversations? Sure. A couple things. I, I always try to ask for permission, even when I don't need to. I don't need to ask permission of one of my staff to give them feedback, but it shows a certain level of respect. And for some cultural groups, particularly younger Black men, uh, younger black women, particularly who feel like they don't get respected, or people don't think that they matter, they don't count. When you say, listen, young man, um, can I give you some feedback? Do you, are you good with that? Can I, uh, can I have permission to give you some feedback? And they'll go like, well, why? What, what do you want to say? Well, because I really want you to be successful. I see some talent that you have. I see some abilities. And I could see you at the next level. But I need to share some things that I, I think you might not be aware of. That's so asking for permission, telling people why you, why you want to know uh, black people, especially African-Americans. When you ask a question is, you know, are you going to go to this thing tomorrow? They're already thinking, why are you asking me that question? Okay. If you say, listen, I'm looking to see if I can hitch a ride. Are you going to that thing tomorrow? Now I've answered the question why already. And the reason black Americans have been, because it was a time where you couldn't, you did, you weren't smart to tell people who, where you lived or what you were doing, because it was dangerous being black back in those days. So it's a cultural piece that still stands today. Don't be telling people where you're going. Don't be telling where you live. Parents, grandparents tell their kids those things all the time. So stay your intention. Why am I asking this question? Um, do your homework. You know, why should I have to be the one to educate you on everything that, that impacts the, the gay or lesbian community or, or the Asian? Can't you read? There's this thing called the internet. You know, look it up. What are the, what's, what's, what, what are the issues facing, you know, the disability community that I should be sensitive to, that I should be uh, aware of, all right? So those are, those are some of the things. And the last thing I'll say that's important is in this mask environment, you know, how do people see a smile or see expression through the mask? It's really hard. So, you're, you know, what your eyes saying, I'm listening, your body saying, yeah, I got you. More gestures, more, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm, I didn't realize that. That let people know you're thinking because you can't see it through the mask. And even though going through virtual means you can see a lot, but sometimes, you know, read the tea leaves. When someone turns their video off for a reason, after somebody said something that might have been difficult, there's a reason. They might be responding to that. Say, look at, whoa, 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 let's take a break here. You know, hopefully we didn't. We didn't uh, upset or offend anyone and then go into the chat and, and, and ask, are you good? You know, is everything fine? Did we, do you, do you want to still participate? Sometimes it's just, Hey, uh, you know, they, uh, they, they have to, they have to pull a piece of food out of their teeth, <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it's really, Hey, something that you said really upset me. So, so those are some additional tips. 
That's really helpful. Where can people who are interested in learning more about this go for more information? Well, that's the easy one. It's called mfha.net. And mfha.net is our website. We have a tremendous amount of on-demand content that you can just go click and watch. In our webinars, some of the things that we've had, conversations with leaders, leaders of color, women, conversations about conflict de-escalation, bias, unconscious bias, uh, and some cultural intelligence contents there as well. But there's a lot, a lot of good stuff out there. I would tell you, New York University, NYU, if you go to their site and check their diversity department, they've got a tremendous amount of resources there. The Southern Poverty Law Center also has a tremendous amount of, of good material uh, that will, will um, and the good news about some of these sites is they give it to you for free. Here's the exercise. They tell you all the detail and what they've done, and, and they've been tested and true. So, so I think there's, there's a lot of resources out there if you go looking for them. But those that I just mentioned are, are, are some that you have easy access. And when you go to mfha.net, sign up for our cultural intelligence newsletter. It, it, comes, it comes weekly, and it aggregates stories of real importance, research and all that. It's really good. It's, it's an easy read, and it's free. That's fantastic. And we'll make sure that we link to all these in the show notes. So we've got straight links to all of these great resources. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention? That was, that was a lot. Well, I'll, I'll say this here. Never doubt that one person can make a change. I know I'm paraphrasing a great, uh, great statement uh, that one person can make a significant change in the world because that, that frequently is, is what happens. Is a well-placed word to some of your staff, or your employees, a friend, a colleague, a customer, um, about how you're doing, how, how are you feeling, uh, how are you reacting to these things. With a sense of caring and humanity is what's really needed in these conversations or any conversation. If I know my intention is good to try to better understand you or the circumstance or to find a way how I can help you, those are honest and sincere sentiments that cross all cultural lines. They, they cross even language because sometimes it's what, not what you say, it's how you behave. Um, that, that sends a message to somebody that you care. So I encourage everyone to learn how to, how to have the difficult conversations because they're worth having. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jerry. And we'll make sure to have links to all these resources on the show page. Great. Well, thank you so much. And uh, you keep up the great work you're doing over there. Thanks so much. Thanks. To learn more about having productive conversations with your employees in today's racially and politically charged climate, Join Jerry Fernandez, founder of the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance, this May 13th, 2021, at 2 p.m. Eastern. We'll share additional resources, tips, and tools for tough conversations. Sign up at restaurant.org slash webinars. Again, that's restaurant.org slash webinars. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Jerry Fernandez, president and founder of MFHA. I'm Helen Jane Hearn, Senior Director of Content at the National Restaurant Association, and your host for today. To learn more about MFA's mission, which includes their Pathways to Black Franchise Ownership Program, visit mfha.net. And to hear more episodes of Order Up, you can visit us at restaurant.org slash podcasts. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast episodes. 
Episode produced by Dante32.